You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 242 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Malisha. How are you, Gina? I'm good. I just headbutted the microphone. Sorry about oh, that, that's Valerie. So professional. Really clever. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since I've uh, spoken to you, so I've gone <laughs> a bit rusty. Oh, okay. okay. That's good. What have you been up to over the last couple of weeks? Have you been I've having been, fun? Yes, I've been behaving myself well, shooting, doing mm-hmm. lots of editing, which means a bit of uh, binge watching of some good stuff and uh, all sorts of things. How was your uh, exhibition at the it Guggenheim? Was good. Where, where uh, was it? it wasn't at the Guggenheim. It was really fun. It was a great experience. It was good to meet so many different people. Um, so, yeah, it was cool. And literally that moment, Gina, in the last 10 seconds before we started recording, I happened to um, – go into my uh, Facebook messengers folder and um, it's interesting how doing stuff like that can potentially create momentum but I went to my Facebook messenger folder into the others folder and there was a message from a major magazine asking to yeah talk about the artwork but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about something really interesting, which I think we want to share with our listeners, because one of the things that I did during that week, it was a very art-filled week, is I went to um, the Dobell Drawing Prize, which at the which was being exhibited at the National Art School in Sydney. And the Dobell Drawing Prize, it, imagine, Gina, if you went to something called the Dobell Drawing Prize, what do you think you would see? Uh, drawings, Val? Yeah, but of like... With what, what medium and stuff like that? Uh, pencil. Yes. What else? Come on, you went to art school. I know you know some answers here. Crayon. Well, ink. maybe. Yeah. yeah, ink. Yeah. Charcoal. Right. Um, you know, uh, a whole uh, coloured pencil, stuff like that. So there was, it was really good. Some people are extremely talented yeah. in drawing. But what was interesting was there were, I came across, and I'm sure there was more than one, but this one caught my eye because um, I happened to know the name of the photographer. I think we've spoken about him previously in the podcast. Um, But I said, oh, look, there's something um, uh, that looks like a photo. And I realized what it was. So it was a photo by Peter Solness. And I realized what it was. It was light painting and remember we did ah, the episode on light painting yes. but that is like drawing right so what? that that photo that light painting which was kind of of a cricket pitch you know at dusk or at night and it yeah. I, I think it was the trajectory of what might have been a ball but yeah you know that was in the Dobell drawing prize wow interesting because so, so, the light painting so, is considered drawing 
There you go. So we've got quite a few light painters mm. in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community. So maybe uh, think about getting in there and entering your work in uh, a drawing contest. In That's other so contests. interesting. Yes, I thought it was fascinating. So, mm. um, yeah, that, that, was, that was really fun just to see that in there and to kind of went, oh, I would never have thought of that. But, hey, it kind of makes sense. Wow. Fantastic. Anyway, what else has been happening in the world of Gina? All right, so I'm just getting ready to – I'm actually going to India in a couple of Again. days. So been washing undies, uh, you know, <laughs> as I do, getting ready for the trip. Okay. And, and uh, packing camera gear and lenses is like Sophie's choice. It's like which lens oh, do I have to leave behind? What are you going to take? It's hard. It's such always – Have you decided? Yeah, I think I've pretty much decided, but I will leave it to um, – the last minute, as always, mm. I, I've got a fair idea of what lenses I want to take, and that's kind of determined. And there's always, it's always hard to know whether I take the big mother seventy to two hundred because it's just that extra weight, and it's um, yes. so much harder. And I talk about this with our our next uh, guest on today's podcast, uh, Robert Chanflorne, who's a uh, a world class sport photographer. And I talk to him. I love about how you what, say that, Robert. I know Chanflorne. he's a fellow Italian. Robert Gianflone. Um, good calabrese boy. So, yeah, and uh, he, he has the same dilemmas when he's packing and it's just getting so yeah. much harder to uh, travel, uh, take carry-on mm. uh, on board these days. So that's always tricky. Uh, so I'm sorting all of that and then I've got the uh, AMA, Ask Me Anything for the Gold Community coming up. And, oh, my God, Val, the, as you know, these guys mm. are just – Killing it at the Killing moment. I was it. just uh, on the page Amazing. now before I was while I was waiting for you to get yourself organised <laughs> and uh, just like they get they're they're starting their new studios. They're shooting events. They're shooting their first weddings. They're you know nailing lighting. Like I'm looking at the stuff, going, oh my god, that's so beautiful. And every day there is a new bit of joy that comes out of there. So uh, on Wednesday we're going to be workshopping a whole heap of stuff uh, in the Ask Me Anything. So yeah, that's what I've been busy doing, Val. Fantastic. And of course, if you're interested in finding out more about how you can work with Gina in the gold community and take your photography to the next level, have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my gold community. The gold community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. 
As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so this week we have how to photograph sporting events with a guest, Robert Gianflone. Are you about okay? the accent on, Val? Gianflone. You actually, um, <laughs> a your, Italian's no really, your Italian is really good. <laughs> Sono intelligente. Yeah, molto. <laughs> <laughs> we could amuse ourselves for you were like, ages. Oh. When was I, I was in Italy once and I posted in Italian and you underneath my post publicly <laughs> corrected it. Because <laughs> you were conjugating it wrong. Yes. <laughs> Only you, Valerie Koo, could do that. But do you want to hear my – I digress, but do you want to hear my new idea? Yeah, go. Because I really want to learn Indonesian, right? Wow. And then I thought – so I found this app where you can learn Indonesian. Why? Oh, just because it doesn't matter. Let me tell you my story. Yeah. Where you can learn Indonesian. And I thought, oh, but when am I going to fit this in? Mm. And I thought, but I have a long commute, right? Yeah. And wouldn't it be great if I could just talk to someone during the commute? And it's it's a bit hard like when you're driving, especially to see – because you've got to see the way people move their lips and stuff like that as well. You yeah, know? yeah. So I thought, but what if I could get a driver, if I could find somebody who I could drive and I could afford and then I could be on my app talking to the Indonesian tutor – and then I thought, wow, what if I could get an Uber driver who would be willing to do that, like to be booked, you know, for a number of hours or something, particularly when I've got like lots of meetings and stuff like that. Yeah. It'd be cheaper than doing separate Uber rides, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought, okay. And so I started looking for this Uber driver. And then last week I get into an Uber and it's an Uber driver who speaks Indonesian. You manifested that, like the secret I'm like, bell. Oh my God, two yeah. for the price of one. Yeah. So? This has got nothing to do with photography. So anyway, we've um, we're 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 making plans. Um, so this has got nothing to do for so you with photography. Up the Uber driver. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not for that purpose. Anyway, let us move on to Robert Gianflone. Tell us about Robert. Robert's uh, a professional sporting photographer and this, I think, for all the sport buffs and even photography buffs is like living mm. the dream. And so yeah. in this interview, Robert shares how he went from being a beginner and just t- just going out and shooting suburban sporting matches just because because he enjoyed it and then started selling his work to the parents doesn't that sound like a familiar story? How many times have yes. you heard that within the Facebook community, Val? Absolutely. Right? And mm. uh, from then he hassles the local leader newspaper. And when I say hassle, and mm. you've got to listen to this interview just to hear how many times he approached this company before they said yes and then they did say yes. And from there he goes on and he gets a job with uh, one of Australia's Australia's leading sporting agencies and then he's off shooting like 
world-class sporting events, and that that agency then becomes known as a little-known agency. You may have may have heard of them, Val. It's like a small, tiny little photography agency called Getty. Have you heard of them? <laughs> Yeah. Right. So he, there he is, and he's shooting uh, international events. Like uh, when I spoke to him, he just come back from shooting the World Cup cricket. He's done many wow. Olympics. He's done FIFA World Cups. He's done Winter Olympics wow. and uh, Formula One, Commonwealth Games, all of it. So I wanted to get into his head and find out his thought process and how you get from shooting suburban soccer matches to being on the world stage as a you know world-class shooter and uh also how his workflow what sort of gear does he what sort of gear does he use what sort of gear does he recommend to people who are coming up the ranks and want to break into the sport photography and then what's your thinking process when you're at like something like a world-class uh table tennis event where do you where do you Place yourself. What are you shooting? Are you shooting wide? Are you shooting long? Are you panning? How do you do it? So we really got into it. It was a, a great conversation. I really enjoy it. Shall we get into it? Absolutely. Let's have a listen to Robert Gianflone. Robert Gianflone, welcome to the show. How are you going? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to chat to you today. Before we get started, where in the world are you? Uh, currently in Melbourne. <laughs> and where have you been the last little while? It's quite glamorous. Uh, recently had a three-week stint in India on the Australian cricket tour against India. Yeah. And I've uh, been in Tasmania a lot earlier this year with tennis and hockey and cricket. So how how much are you travelling around uh, over the year? Uh, it all depends on the year, actually. Um, if it's like an Olympic year, um, we're usually away quite a bit. Or if it's the Winter Olympic, actually we call it the Big Four. Yeah. So every four every four years, there's Winter Olympics, Commonwealth Games, and the uh, FIFA World Cup. Right. So I, I did that last year. So we had the Winter Olympics early in the year in South Korea. So yeah. we were there for a month, and then we came back with like a two week break, straight into the Commonwealth Games for three odd weeks, and then it was, it was like two and a half week break, and then it was straight to Russia for the uh, World Cup with the Socceroos. Wow, it it sounds and, it sounds so glamorous. Like, are you guys all the all the all the sporting photographers? Because you're staff with Getty, right? Yes, correct. And so, all the sporting photographers, do you do you know everyone? Yeah, we've uh, all. You mean in in Getty wise, or just oh, like from other ages? And... Yeah, because you'd be bumping into the same people at all the events, right? Oh yeah, most of the time you do. So yeah, we we do know a lot of the photographers from other agencies because you're sitting side by side with them. You know, for hours on end sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, a bit of banter and you become friends with some of them along the way. And is there a bit um, of, like, socialising that happens after hours? Yeah, there is sometimes. Depends on the um, where you are and where everyone's staying. Um, so if you stay, like, at a winter games, most people are in the village. Yeah. So you, so you do see people afterwards either, you know, at a restaurant or at a bar. If you finish early enough, you can get to um, eat normally and have a bit of downtime. And and how helpful is everyone with each other? I mean, I, I know when I've done uh, like big uh, like A list entertainment events, it's like you see the same people, and uh, you know people will tip each other off, or if you need a, a card reader or something like that. Is it like that in the sporting world, where like let's just say one of your lenses goes down, are, are you able to ask 
one of the guys for help? Is it like that or is it all like every man for himself? Um, no, usually the guys are pretty helpful. I mean, I've had card readers fail. I usually bring two with me to every job anyway. Yeah. But in the early days where I'd only bring one, I've had people help me out and loan me a card reader and, and then you obviously hand it back and um, people help you that way. Or I mean, I've never really had gear fail on a, on a major assignment, luckily. Yeah. So, um, but I have heard guys that have helped guys out with lenses, and but usually, if you go to a big event like a World Cup or an Olympics, you have Canon and Nick on there anyway. Yeah. So if something breaks or, or stops working, you can just go straight to them and they'll replace it or fix it on the spot, um, which is quite helpful. Yeah. And so, when you're traveling with all the gear, how how does it work with packing? What 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 are you bringing on board and what goes underneath? Oh, yeah, that all depends on the assignment and how quickly you need to start working. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually like to carry two bodies. Uh, my favourite lens at the moment for most jobs is a 200 to 400 Canon. Which what, can... How fast is that? That's an F4. Right. And that has a built-in converter, which uh, we use at times. So to get I'll, it, I'll try, and that becomes what, an 800? Uh, no, it becomes like a 580. Right. Um, some of that, and then you, yeah, I usually try and pack that on board. I've got a very small camera bag that looks very small. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, it has a lot of weight. Which so if they do, weigh it, does it, it get weighed? How often? Do, uh, it's been weighed once or twice before, and like last year, going to the World Cup, it was weighed, and I explained to them I was going to the World Cup, and they made a phone call to someone, and they said, "Okay, you can carry that on." Wow. So I was lucky to be able to carry that on. Um, uh, going to the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. Um, I decided not to carry anything on board this time except for one body and a smaller lens. Yeah. And uh, on arrival to Brazil, my final destination, uh, my gear went missing and never <gasps> never saw it again. No. So, <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you never saw it again? Where'd it go? Well, I arrived, I arrived into Rio and I got my bag from the conveyor belt and I checked into a domestic flight to my final destination for that World Cup and uh, the bag didn't turn up at the final destination. So... Three in the morning, I'm standing at the conveyor belt, last person, um, and I just had a worse feel, a really bad feeling in my stomach, saying, "I'm not seeing that bag ever again." Do you think um, it got taken off the belt, or do you think it I, never? I don't. I don't think it left Rio after I checked in. To be honest, um, there was there was no, you know, no one could ever prove that it left Rio. Right. So I'm assuming it got it got X-rayed, and they thought, oh, "Well, we'll have this." Yes. So, because um, there's a lot of stories too during that yes. World Cup of, of gear going missing from the venue itself, people losing gear, really? just turning their backs for a second, and things going missing, lenses and bags and stuff. So, yeah, that's such a nightmare scenario. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and that's where I was lucky that Canon was based. That you know, Canon Nikon were there, and Canon just helped me out. With, I gave them a list of gear, and every venue I turned up to, there was my a kit of gear waiting for me that I would have normally used. And then wow. I just returned it up, returned it after every match, and. The next match, you know, I'll pick it up again. Oh, my God. You're so lucky because so, if yeah. they weren't there, what, what would you do? Oh, well, I don't know. We would have been – probably had to have the office send spare gear over or something. So, but, so uh, since then, have you just made a point of carrying the gear with you? Yeah, I try to. Like, I mean, there's some gear you obviously can't carry on board because it's too big, but um, I do my best to carry what I need for that job. Um as a minimum to, to, to do the job. Are you taking um, lighting gear underneath as well? Yeah, or? yeah. Yeah, sometimes if we do portrait shoots interstate, like the World Cup was soccer last year with the Socceroos, I took I took some lighting gear with me over there because we had team photo to do and uh, two portrait days to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I had some lighting gear there. 
and you know, lighting stands. So it meant extra packing, more weight, more excess luggage charges and things like that. Yeah, it can get expensive. Um, yeah. All right, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of your gear and what you prefer um, a bit later in the interview, but what, like, what, yeah. what I want to know to start with, like how you got started. Can you remember your first paid gig and how you felt on Ooh. that day? Okay, well, I used to do a lot of um, local sports teams uh, in the early 90s, like team photos and uh, kids playing sport. And I got, I got to that by accident because I was photographing my brothers playing soccer and then other parents started asking me for prints and they'd, they'd pay me. And how, how uh, did you learn to do that? Was that just something, did you actually take it a course or was it just uh, trial and error? Uh, it was a bit of trial and error, trial and error, but then I started doing some courses, uh, night courses. Yeah. Um, at the adult college in the city. Yeah. And also from there then I met some like private photographers who taught me darkroom skills. Yep. So when I was living at mum's place when I was younger, I'd have a dark room set up there in a spare room. So I'd do my black and white prints and uh, you know, after jobs, whenever I shopped some black and white. So that was a good skill to learn. So, so you've been you've been working for twenty five years. So like you yeah. well into like I think we've been yeah full time for about twenty five years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. So you were learning with um, neg and transparency and yeah yeah to start with. So what was your first camera that you were using when you started shooting, like, soccer games domestically? Uh, it was a Nikon, I think, I can't remember the exact model number. It was a Nikon D something, D601 yep. or 901, some of that. Yeah. Um, there was this film camera when I had a Tamron zoom lens. and Tamron? Tamron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the time. And then I... And then also purchased a, a, a 400 um, 5.6, I think, from memory, just a small one. It was a handheld thing. And that got me enough to, like, shoot, shoot better action and getting closer and um, shooting the kids. And then one of the clubs I did some stuff for was in the National League soccer at the time. So they got me to shoot some of their senior games as well. So, so uh, that was just from being there, turning up every weekend and shooting yeah. and getting to know people. So it was more yeah, the, about exactly, the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, definitely. That that definitely helped at the time. Um, and then I started shooting more, more the national league, and then I got some work for a soccer magazine on the weekends, doing more more national league stuff. Mm. Um, then I ended up buying like a better camera, and better lenses. Um, until I went to, until I got a job at the local paper, at the leading newspaper group. Right. Um, so it, and and. Was that something that you applied for or they approached you? How did that work? Uh, no, I, I, I constantly kept approaching them for months. How so, many times uh, did you approach them before you got oh, an in? A lot. A lot? Okay. Like I kept ringing them and sending them letters because I think it was an email that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd ring them a lot and just turn up. Sometimes I'd knock on their door and speak to the editor. And then one day one of, the, one of their staff took three months long service and they said, look, mate, if you want to come in, we can give you three months' work full-time, but that's it, you know. Yeah. I said, yeah, sure. So I proved myself in that three months, and then the photographer, she came back from long service and was given a full-time job at the Herald Sun. Right. So from there, they said, look, if you want, you can have you can work for us four days a week. I said, yeah, definitely. So I signed on and haven't looked back. So when you were, yeah. like, 
knocking on their door over that time and they were what, what what were they saying to you or nothing or like oh, no, sending... no, 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 no just saying there wasn't any work at the moment you know we'll call you if something comes up yeah and then I, and then i think when i when they finally gave me the job it was more it was more just to sort of sort of um you know sort of say all right that's enough stop it stop it you, you know, <laughs> we'll put you in so did you feel so... like you were pestering them it, like oh, in yeah, your head, sure. do you, and yeah. but but it yeah. didn't stop you from doing it because I think no. a lot of photographers that are starting out yeah. might make uh, one phone call or send yeah. one email, get a, yeah, a yeah. no or no response, and, and think, well, that that didn't work. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I just really, really wanted it, and I thought I'm going to get it. Like, right. I'm going to do, do everything I can to get it, and I just kept pushing. And so, in that time, are you kind of getting to know people because you've emailing back and forth or dropping by and they go oh god here's robert again yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah, yeah i think so like the editor at the time that was there and the picture editor both got to know me so um i think they saw that i was serious and you know i wasn't lazy and i was because when you work at the local paper you're doing like 10 jobs a day at the time yeah so you, 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 your first job could be like a car yard photographing cars for the for the adverts yes and then your next job is like an old lady who lost a cat up a tree yeah. and then then it could be like a car accident it just comes up out of the blue, or yeah, you know, then a portrait with a local artist. So every day was every day was different. So it was really versatile and kept you on your toes, and had to think of doing something different to what you did the sec the first day, and those sort of things. And then also that no one, no one in the company except for myself and this other guy, loved shooting sport. So we shoot with a local sport on a Saturday, right? Um, even though it's supposed to be my day off on a Saturday, they say, look, mate, we really need you to do the cricket and the footy and the soccer and all the local stuff. And I go, yeah, no problem. So. Um, and that's where, like, even with a sport, you were doing maybe 10 sports a day. So you must do five games of cricket, just quickly go there and get a shot of each game, and then go do a bit of basketball and a game of netball and lawn bowls and then something else, and then quickly get back to the office and drop the film off. Right. To get processed for the paper's deadlines. All right. I just want to go back to the, the hassling part where you got yeah. the job initially. Yeah, when yeah. you're contacting them, are you sending them photos and different photos with each contact? Like, are you keeping up with them and saying, "Hey, you know, it's me again. Here's yeah. what I've been doing." Like, yeah, yeah. Just... Uh, not each contact. Like the first one, I'd send them a folio, um, and then you sort of wait for an answer, and then you sort of chase them up, and then follow I chase them up. Yeah, follow up, and, you, yeah, and then, then I chase them up again, and say, "Hey, you know, I'm still interested. If there's anything coming up, and I'll do the sport in the weekend." And you just try and really show you you're keen and interested. Yeah. Uh, which I was. I really, like, I still am now. Not, nothing's changed. Uh, yeah. I still, I still love what I do. So back then it was, you know, I was young and eager. I said, that's it. I really want to get into it. And yeah, so I just kept hassling until, until they finally gave in. And so at the time, as you're trying to get a break in the industry, did you have another full-time job? Yeah, I was a, I was originally a printer. Yep. Uh, working at the government. Mm. So it sort of worked out well that when that job actually came up, uh, the full time, the first full time part of it, uh, we all got made redundant. So I was sitting in the, they put us in an office in the city until we could find a job, fully paid. Yeah. And then within, and then like within six weeks, I was out of there and got that job at Leader. And uh, and just yeah, and stopped. So working for a newspaper, how how does how does a, a day look? Um, and I know it's a little bit different now because it's yeah. digital. But like, take us through. So do you? Have a set number of hours that you work every week, or are you on call? Is it all yeah. different times? How does it how does it work working for a newspaper? Well, when I was working at the local paper, um, so there was maybe I think 
there's quite a few photographers in our office because it was leader had offices all over the all over Melbourne. Mm. So I was at, I was based at between Blackburn and Northcote, and there was a good probably 20 photographers at each office. Wow. Um, and most of them, most of them had their own. So you, you sort of had your own paper. Yep. And when I started, I was split between lots of papers when they got too busy where they couldn't cover enough jobs in that day. Um, but then when I then when I became full time, I was given my own paper. So uh, I was covering Brunswick, and so that's where they give you eight, ten jobs a day. For example, either the night before, you get most of your jobs given to you, and the and the and the picture editor will say, okay, here you go, you got ten jobs. Here's ten rolls of film. Um, go out and you know, and obviously bring the film back by the end of the day. So yeah. so so that so you shoot your ten jobs. Uh, like I said earlier, it could be car yards, real estate. Little old lady losing her cat, yeah. or a local artist, and that sort of stuff. And, um, and how how does the brief look? So you get the ten jobs. How detailed yeah. is the brief? And are they giving you direction um, as to how they want the image to look, or are they leaving that up to you? Yeah. Well, for example, like they give you ten job sheets, so you get yep. a job sheet for each job. Yep. And it'll say, "Meet Mrs. Mary Marple at her house here with a journalist, and she'll do the interview first. So are you and, sitting in on the interview and listening and is that where you're getting your ideas? Yeah, yeah. Or, or you shoot or, you, or sometimes take some photos. You used to take photos while they'd be interviewed just as a backup in case they weren't happy with whatever you took later. Um, right. And then, yeah, you do a setup with whatever the story was about. Yep. Um, the car yards were like standard photograph the car, three-quarter one. You might go to a car yard and do five cars or you might do like 50 cars. Yep. All depends on what the ad was. Um. And also, yeah, so if it's a, you, know, you do a portrait of many times of local artists, uh, quite a few times they'd come across just jobs like there'd be a house fire, I'd be driving along and there'd be a house fire or a car accident. Right. You just, you just call the officer, say, hey, there's a car accident here, I'm just photographing it now and the car's on fire. They go, yep, yeah, quickly just get some photos and go to your next job. So sometimes there was stuff that would just happen um, on the go. And so you you're across... like, a, like a, you're coming off shooting soccer, right? Yeah. How, how did you improve your uh, portrait skills and documentary style skills at that time? Were you who, who was giving you feedback? Um, the the chief photo editor at the time mm. was giving me feedback, and a couple of photographers that were there were really good and helpful, showing me you know, improving my lighting and you know, giving me ideas on what you could do with certain jobs. So that right. that really helped, and you know, sit down and have a chat with them, so which was really good. So you're constantly reviewing your images and seeing oh, where you could yeah, improve? Yeah. yeah, always. Even now, we still do that now. We look at oh, stuff and go, oh, could have done this better. And, but, yeah, you're always looking at your images and saying, okay, next time I might try this lighting or try this location and just always trying to think of ideas and write things down for next time. And so when you, like, how long do you get on average when you're shooting this um, photojournalist stuff for, for the newspapers, like, you know, um, the lady who lost her cat, how yeah. long do you get to take those shots? Oh, it all depends on what you got for the day. So if you get your jobs the night before, you can, you start planning that before you leave the office, you start ringing all the people and saying, hey, are you okay if we do this at 9 a.m.? And then you, and then you, got, you might have another job at 9.30 around the corner. So I used to plan my jobs when I got the list so I could sort of go back to back to jobs without having to go across town and come back again Yeah, where it was, where it was possible to do that. So if you could ring the people and say, hey, I know you got this job at 4 o'clock, um, but can we make it? one o'clock or something and they yeah if they agreed it was good if they didn't you just went along with it and and covered the job at that time so with with these shots i mean there are times when like you could be tired you've been up late the night before and you could easily just 
hack them out, right? Like there, yeah, there yeah. are easy ways that you could go, oh, look, the daylight's good here. I'll just, you know, whack it on yeah. wide open, shallow depth yeah. of field and shoot it like that. But you know that yeah. if you, you know, pulled out a light for this, you could make it better. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. How are you, what's your thinking in that? Like if you know you've got a, you've got to be at the next job, how, how often were you saying, no, I want to make this a bit better and go that extra mile to take that shot? Um, all depending on it, like if the journey was there and they'd say, look, we'd really like to try and try and get this in the picture or, um, yeah, or, uh, it's always a location. Like in your head, you might have an idea and say, I want to do this, but when you get there, you go, oh, I can't do that because location's terrible, the background's yeah. terrible. Or there was times even when they'd have a story on someone that, I can't one from memory was like some person was doing an experimental uh, medicine yeah. for their health and, and you turn up and they've got nothing to show, not even a box of that medicine, nothing. Right. And you sort of go, well, I can't really do anything here except the portrait. Yeah. Uh, and you can't show that what's wrong with them because they, they look healthy, for example, but the medicine they're taking is like come from America and it's cost thousands of dollars. But right. Only the, it can't it can't leave the doctor's surgery. It has to stay with the doctor right. or the hospital. So it's like, well, we can't do the photo with the doctors. So they're at home. You go, well, what do you do? So you got to think quickly. And, um, and what would you do in that situation? Uh, to, no, to normally, normally just do a portrait in their house or around their house on the street. Um, just sort of showing them, you know, pensive or something, just trying to make it look interesting. Right. So, yeah. And so how was the change for you switching over to digital? Did that make life a lot easier or was that a steep learning curve? Did you learn on the job? It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, well, while I was at the paper, because I was at the paper until 98, um, 96 to 98, and it was all film. Yeah. And then when I went to Sporting Picks, um, at the time, it was still film. We didn't we didn't we didn't actually change digital until Sydney Olympics. We did a little bit of digital, right? Um, but then, pretty much, I think 2002 was full time digital, right? Which was uh, yeah, it sort of made it hard at the beginning because you weren't sure what to do with the file because we're used to scanning uh, the images. Um, but it was it was even more so the clients that were sort of like freaking out by the digital files. Yeah. Because they used to get in transparencies or negatives, and they'd scan them into the magazines, books, or newspapers, and what have you. Right. And then, it, then, then it became like, oh, here's a disc, and they go, well, what's best to do with this? <laughs> so, you know, for a long time, we get clients ringing saying, well, how am I supposed to scan this? Right. You know, so yeah, it was sort of a big change more for the clients than us. So, but also for us, it was a storage thing. It's like, well, how do we store them now? Because yeah. we used to have. We used to have filing cabinets after filing cabinets of transparencies and negatives um, with all the images that we shot for a job that we'd keep. So so going back to those newspaper days and shooting film, how yeah. like you're getting 10 rolls of film for the day, is that for 10 shots? So are you dedicating yeah, roughly, a roll yeah, of yeah. 35 to, per shot? Not for every job. So it's mainly like if you go to your real estate or cars, you actually need a lot of, a lot of film. But um, if you do a job and you can get away with a few frames, you would. And then you know, keep your film for the next day. So, would you try and be um, conservative in the number of files that you were shooting? Yeah, you would for the sport, especially on a Saturday. Yeah. Because um, usually on a Saturday, the office was shut, so you had to make sure you had what you needed for the weekend. Yep. So the film, the film would get dropped off in a drop box at the office, and then the uh, courier would pick it up at a certain, you know, a certain hour um, at the end of the day. So you couldn't be trigger happy. No, you couldn't. <laughs> so how did that shooting conservatively, how, how do you think that's helped your photography overall? Is that like backing yourself and knowing? 
um, that you've got the shot or wishing that you could just keep firing? Just yeah, it sort case. of helped you back then. But now it's like because it's digital, you can just delete what you don't need anymore. Yeah. You know, we have so many CF cards now that I can overshoot and it won't really matter. So, um, so you were overshooting today, do you think? Uh, probably at times, I think. Like we do a game of AFL, you might take like a 1,000 images and only keep 150. Yeah. So, but again, it depends, yeah, what you're shooting that day, if there's any new stories and early in the season we shoot more than later in the season. All right, so you, you're shooting for the newspaper and you're doing the weekend stuff, the sport as well, and that's on yeah. your, you know, spare time and you're building. A, a, and so have you got someone mentoring you at that point for the sport? Uh, not really, just the guys in the office that were we shooting sport regularly before I yep. came along. Yep. But, and that was sort of more... They were sort of like pretty happy that I was issuing sport because they weren't keen on doing it. So what what gear are you um, using at that point? Uh, at that time, I had my own. It was all my own gear. So I had a three hundred, and I think I had Nikon F ninety Xs then, right? Which were quite fast for the time. Yep. And then then the office had I think a four hundred, which I'd borrow for the weekend. Yep. And put a converter on that, and then um, just go out and shoot. Yeah, this whatever sport we were, had to shoot that weekend. So and then get the lens back on a Monday. Just on the those games, so let's say um, you're shooting a game of AFL football. Um, yeah. Are were you are you a fan of sport before that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so your how does it work? How do you know that to to you know train your lens in a certain area of the game? Are you anticipating the action? Like, is it an intuitive thing? How, how does it work? Because it's like some of the shots that these sports guys take, you know, I could be there on the sideline and I'd have the thinking the camera, or the action's going to go this yeah. way and it goes another way. How, how does that, is that, how do you develop that skill? Oh, it, it, it um, definitely comes with time, especially like for the first time you shoot, say, through a 600 or yeah. even any, any telephoto lens. It's a totally different experience of just shooting with a wide angle if you've never shot sport before. Yep. And then all of a sudden someone gives you a 600 or a 400 or a 500 and you're trying to shoot sport. You're like, it's a bit sort of like, wow, everything's too close or you just can't see properly until you actually get, get used to do it, shooting with that lens. Because it's such a so, tiny, um, narrow, narrow field of view on oh, that 600. Is, yeah, yeah. Like you're it trained is. on a one player basically. So yeah. yeah, pretty much. So with footy, like if the ball's coming, say, from um, right to left, you sort of swing over to the left and see how high the ball's going and you sort of – Hoping some player's going to take a mark over another player. Yep. Or it's going to be a big tackle with a guy running with a ball, someone coming out from the from the side and, and taking him down. So it's always 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 going to be alert and on your toes and um, watch what's happening all the time. So you're chasing the ball basically. <clears throat> you're just focused on that and trying to get a flow of how the how the game is going. Is yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I always have a radio on when, when I'm when I'm shooting sport if I can, if it's if it's on radio. Yeah. So you can hear what's going on as well. Um, so you're listening to the commentators. Always, yeah, yeah. I try to do that always. Every sport. Right. It's on. It's on radio. I'll have the radio on and listen to it. And like, when you see something amazing happen, do you know you've got the shot? Like, uh, do you feel much. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Like, if you, well, you hope that it's sharp first. Yeah. And and then you hope that you have the, the sequence or the main the main image. Right. 
And, and and are you chimping as you're going? Are you looking at the back of the screen a lot? Because uh, I, I imagine I'd be checking the get going. Oh, that was a good shot. And then as you're looking down, yeah. you miss the 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 mark of the year or the the yeah. tackle of the year. Well, not, normally I'm not really chimping. I'll tag an image if I need to, and, right? Because we because with our current how we do it now, we download the card. Like if you shoot maybe 20 frames and you download the card and you start editing straight away. On the sidelines. Yes, because like websites and newspaper sites and sporting sites are waiting for those pictures just to update their stories as the game goes along. So that's a big difference in, in the difference between digital and film because I oh, guess yeah. you had the yeah. luxury when you were shooting film, you could stay on the the whole game and then you'd hand in yeah. the films or did you have exactly. runners coming and getting the films? Yeah, in the old days we'd have runners mm. uh, a lot of the time. So um, we have, like say for AFL, we'd have a, a courier come at uh, halftime. Yep. And those films would get courier back to the office and someone was there to process them. And then after the match, we'd turn up with the rest and, and do the rest ourselves and finish, you know, if it's a night game, you finish around midnight or a bit after. Right. And you, you'd, you'd have to you keep keep your best photos, mount them, label them. And then on a Monday, uh, the uh, research girls would come in and they'd properly label them with um, official labels and things and the company logos. And yep. So clients would come in and look at them or take them out and scan them and bring them back. All right, so from the days of shooting for the leader group, how did yeah. you actually get into shooting full-time sport? Well, I was shooting a football VFL game for the local paper uh, one afternoon and there was a photographer there from Sporting Picks. Right. And he said, oh, look, mate, um, you know, give us your number. We, we, we could use people sometimes when, we, when we're short. And I said, yeah, for sure you go. And next thing I know, a couple of months later, I get a phone call from the boss, Tony Fetter, saying, oh, look, look mate, do you mind coming in for an interview? One of the guys is leaving. Yeah. I'm like, wow, really? Okay. <laughs> so um, when they had a chat and nothing came from that at the time because the guy didn't leave straight away. So, right. But then it was grand final, 1998, I think it was, AFL grand final, the day before AFL grand final. Yep. I get a phone call from Tony again. And um, it's quite funny because he rings me and says, oh, look, mate, we, we're short tomorrow. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, shit, I'm going to shoot the AFL grand final. <laughs> and, and I said, no. And before I even finished, I'm going, yes, yes, mate, I'll do it, I'll do it. And, uh, and he goes, we need you to shoot race three at Sandown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, oh, yeah, sure, mate, I'll do it. I'll do it. He goes, yeah, he goes, the age need, the age need a picture of race three at Sandown tomorrow, grand final day. I'm going, damn it. And I'm thinking, I, mean, I thought I was shooting the grand final. So he goes, he goes mate, you don't, he goes, swing by the office and we'll give you a couple of rolls of film. Just go shoot the race and come back and yeah, give you a day rate and just drop the film off and go home. So just for the so, US listeners, the grand final would be the equivalent of shooting the Super Bowl. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so you're thinking that you're going to shoot the, you know, the the the, the Australian Super Bowl, yeah. and instead you get Sandown, which would Horse be race. the equivalent of like a regional, you know, horse race. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> so, but um, that sort of. So, yeah, so I went along and shot the job that day, the race three at Sandown, <laughs> and um, the jockey who won the race stood up on the horse. He was so far ahead, he stood up on the horse <gasps> before he, he crossed the line and he's shaking his whip around. Wow. And it became a big story because he got, uh, I think he got like, massively fined and suspended. And, oh, really? Because uh, he, he broke the rules by standing up on his horse to begin with before the finish and, whip, and waving his whip around. Oh, um, so it became like a big story and, um, and Tony rang me on the Monday morning. He goes, mate, this is great. This is a big story. Thanks for doing that. And, you know, he goes, we'll keep you in mind if someone leaves. And then literally, I think it was, um, I think it was January, uh, that year, uh, 
what have been yeah January ninety ninety eight actually January yeah. ninety eight I think it was he rang me and said look mate this guy's now leaving and uh, we'll get you to um, come and um, yeah do an interview if you want and all right so they, they they gave me the job pretty much on the spot and I had two weeks to tell Leader yep and I told Leader I said look you know, I really don't want to leave Leader because I enjoyed it yeah it was really versatile and different stuff but I thought I can't turn down this job shooting sport every day yeah. So I took, took the job at um, at Sporting Picks and then it became all sport just before the Sydney Olympics and then it became Getty. Getty. So that's how you became a, a Getty photographer. And, and yes. so that was um, what we're talking 18, 19 years ago? 21 years ago. 21 <laughs> years ago. So you've yeah. been on staff yeah. at Getty or, or whatever their previous yeah, – Yeah, Sporting yeah, Picks, yeah. all sport, yeah. So – what would what's the the main difference between like when you rock up to say the under 15s shooting that for a, like your domestic uh, league uh, yep. casually for yourself just hoping to sell a few to the parents yep. and shooting for say the your first Olympics how did oh, that was... how did that feel were you nervous oh yeah because it was like two years after I signed on I'm I'm selling at the Olympics yes. And it's like, holy crap, like, yeah. here I am, years I want to go to the Olympics and I'm here. Right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's mind-blowing. And is that like, it must be so overwhelming because there's so many sports that need to be covered and then you're like the new kid on the block. And how, oh, yeah. how does it work? How, how does, like, does the, you'll get, a, are you briefed in the morning as to like, here are the, event, the events you need to cover? How much research are you doing on all the particular um uh, different sports, so you've got a handle. Like, are, are you sent to sports that you've got like no idea? Like, oh yeah, you know, I imagine <laughs> shooting fencing and having no idea what to do. And yep. like, I mean, I know you've across <clears throat> cricket and football, and but what about the other sports? Oh, that was like real eye opening because um, apart from being my first Olympics year, we're working with photographers that whose work I've admired for years. Yeah. And I'm working alongside them, and I know them. They're, they're, they're part of part of the company I work with. And yeah. You think, wow, like finally get to meet this guy and have a chat, and um, it was great. Uh, that sort of gave me some tips. But yeah, like back in Sydney, I was doing like a lot of jobs a day. So it could be like oh, go to the uh, table tennis and spend two hours there. We need a shot of this uh, Chinese guy, American guy, and Australian guy, and then head over to the uh, badminton. We need this guy from Malaysia, Australia, and uh, USA. Uh, and then yeah, it was, it was like that. So every day, I was given a lot of different jobs, uh, photographing just sports I'd never seen before. So table tennis was one, badminton, fencing. Um, I did a lot of soccer then as well. Yeah. Right. Um, so it was just like so many sports. That swimming, I think I did swimming for half a day. So it's like a and, baptism of fire, yeah. really. Oh right, yeah, so yeah. Let's yeah. um. Let's uh, just break down your thought process in, say, going to a table tennis game. So it's your first yeah. table tennis game that you've um, shot. Do, are you taking your whole kit? Oh, yeah. What's yes. your I thought had no process? Idea. I, just, I had no idea. So it's like, yeah, I'll bring everything, 400, 600. You've got <laughs> so much gear you don't know what to do with. All right, so you you turn up to the venue. You obviously you've got to get through all the different security, and then is there a designated area that like does? Is there an official saying okay? Because you've got a you've got uh, the coverage from the the live cameras that are filming yes. the event, so you don't want to be getting in front of those. 
No, definitely. Uh, no, we we can't. The way it's set up, yeah, we can't get up. The way it's set up in the Olympics, it's very hard to block a, a TV camera. Yes. Um, and they have like so they that so they have like the pool position, which is called pool position. Yeah. Which is the agencies, which was us at the time as well. Yep. So you got all well, your orders, Getty, AFP, and so on. Get the the best positions. Yep. And then from there again, it goes by priority of like who should be there. And then then you've got other fighter positions, maybe either side of that that are not as good. But um, that's where the other freelancers might go and shoot from, right? To get their shots. So and then yeah, back then we had runners as well. Yeah. And we had a little bit of digital back then, so we had like one digital camera. Yeah. Uh, with one digital card because they were so expensive back yes. then. Uh, if you remember, they were like a thousand dollars each or yeah, something yeah, from memory. Yeah. And um, and a funny story from there too is that Nikon gave us a free backpack, uh, camera backpack with a card holder. Yeah. And for digital cards and. The card holder had ten slots, and we all looked at each other, saying, "Who the hell is going to have ten thousand dollars worth of digital cards?" Like, wow, now, here, here we are with one card in there, and it was, <laughs> we used to laugh about it back then. Now, you know, it's obviously you'd fill out no problem. All right, so you turn up to the table tennis <clears throat> venue, and there's so the the agencies get prime position, so they yeah. they've got the, the the basically the best angles, and then as if you're uh, a journalist from the country that's playing, you will get um, also a good position and then everyone else gets whatever's left. Yes. Okay, so you're, say you're shooting, you're shooting for Getty and then there's obviously back then there was other and, – and there still are – how many agencies are there today that shoot uh, sport? Yeah, well, the main ones are still around. So Reuters, AP, AFP, um, AAP, and there's other European agencies, right, so- yeah. Is there a pecking order amongst those agencies or is it like here's your area and like the, you all sort of get the same kind of spot? Is it? Is it? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how it was back then, but I know that now, for example, there's like the, the, your chair is, is has your has the you know the Getty logo on it and yep. all the other agencies. So I think all all the agencies get together and say, okay, we want this spot. How about you guys take that spot? And I think so. There's planning into it. Like it's not it's not just a random. Yeah. Here's a seat. It's just yeah, it, it is planned out. So so it's not um, like a scrum where you've got to um, get there first and guard your no. spot like no, paparazzi no, 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 photography no. happens. Yeah, no, no. I mean people that people that aren't working for someone major might have to get there early to mark their spot. Yep. Um, but yeah, the agency just just can just roll up and sit down and start working without having to worry about not having a spot. All right. So you're turning up and this is your first time shooting <coughs> table tennis, like. What do you do? Are you, are you going there? Are you watching for a bit before you actually start shooting? How are you getting a feel for the game, or do you just start shooting and kind of develop a rhythm as you go? Uh, probably back then I would have started shooting because I was on a deadline with having to get to other jobs. So mm-hmm. I would have just walked in there and got the 400 out and started shooting and then saying, oh, that's not working. But obviously couldn't tell on the back of the camera because it was film. Yeah. So I eventually got the hang of it and um, – yeah, the, the bosses were happy with it, which was the main thing. So right, I, I actually got you know got some decent pictures out of it, which was good. And I imagine, I mean, I'm just uh, like thinking it, it would be something like because I, I find if I'm shooting an event, it takes me a little while to get into the groove, but after a while, I kind yeah. of feel like, all right, I've got I've got this worked out now. I know the action that goes over there, and I know where there's time to you know, take a break or yeah. where I need to focus. So is it kind of like that de- developing that, that muscle for that particular sport? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've shot a lot of table tennis in sense, so it's mm. not a problem now. 
Mm. But you're always like, if you get a new sport, you want to if you if you have time to watch it for a little bit, you try to. But um, yeah, back then there was no time to to really watch it. It was just go 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 go. So so now are you going in and um, as a more experienced uh, sport photographer, are you taking some time to just get in and uh, watch for a little bit and sort of get a feel for the game? Yeah, if you can, or you know, try and have a look around for maybe a new angle or a different angle, or see what the light's doing, and just try and make something different where you can. I mean, you you always have to get your stock stuff if you're shooting your for your you're shooting say an Australian player. Yep. But then if you've got time to try and move around and look for another angle and do some panning or some burst zooms or something something different, shoot through the crowd or whatever the sport is you're doing, you you do try and find different angles just just to get keep, keeps you fresh, yeah, and gives clients something new that they can use. All right. So what's your what's your what are you doing? So you're starting. You're getting in. In an ideal world, you're going to watch the game for a little bit and yep. find your angles. And so when you say stock uh, coverage, uh, are you so you've got two bodies? Uh, yeah, two or three usually. Yeah, two or three. And so yeah. one's your long. Yeah, one's a long. One's like a, yeah, seventy-two, and then maybe a widey on there oh, as well. So how wide? Uh, I like sixteen thirty-five. Sixteen thirty-five, and then what's yeah. the other one? Uh, 70 to 2 and a 200 to 400. Okay. So when you say stock coverage, what would that look like? What would so say it some... could say this table tennis, for example, you want to get like a shot of the player serving, um, a shot of the player maybe hitting the ball back. So that's yep. nice and clean and frozen and stock. And then after that, you want to try and do something different. Um, once, you know, once you know you've got them in the bag, you try and, do, try, want to try and get something different. So the wide shots, is that trying to get some atmosphere as well to get the crowd and the, yeah, the yeah, feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, then so you want to show the overall look of the venue, um, shoot over people's heads to get some of the crowd in there. Yeah. So, so you make the viewer feel like they're at the game. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. And then the other creative stuff, is that where you're trying to do like um, slow the shutter down so you get a bit of movement and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, so, you know, slow shutter speeds or double exposures and those sort of things just to yeah break it up a bit. And, and make it a bit more interesting. At what point? So when you feel like you've got all those shots, is that when you go, all right, I'm going to try and get something creative so I can get the front page of the paper and, and do something that stands out from all the others? Is that when you're trying to think of, like, what can I do that's different? Yeah, pretty much. So you want to get something different. But also still keep in mind that what part of the game it's at in case it, you know, it comes to a, it's about to come to a sudden end because someone's getting thrashed. Yeah. So you're always going to make sure that you know what's going on. Um, in the event. So always in the back of your mind, it's like because you could be up in the stands going for that arty shot that you're looking and then something dramatic happens where there's an all-in brawl on the... on the. <laughs> yeah. Right, and you've missed it. Has that ever happened? Uh, not really missed it. You mean you, you, if, you, if you can get it, you'll shoot it anyway. It's better to have something than nothing. Yeah. Uh, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, with papers, papers and websites wanting everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I haven't really missed anything... Overly major, I don't think uh, I can think of top of my head. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, if you missed it because you know, you, you're being silly and not paying attention, then you, you always kick yourself. But there's always things that are going to happen that you're in the wrong spot or the wrong lens, or um, you know, you just walked away from a corner and there's been a crash or something yep. like that, which happens quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there's been many times where I've been at a racetrack shooting motorsport and you walk away and two minutes later, the same, the same corner you just spent an hour at, there's you know, a car rolls over. 
Right. So it's always, yeah, it's just things that just happen. Yeah, you, you sort of you know, try and take a chance and go somewhere where you think something might happen and then it doesn't or it happens somewhere else totally away from you where you're nowhere near it. But like I said, if you miss it because you're, you're mucking around or whatever, you always kick yourself. But if you, if you miss it because you just moved away or not, not in the same spot, you know, you sort of live with it. Because the racetracks are massive. They're, they're yeah, like, that's right, and, yeah. And so how much are you moving around on racetracks? You think, oh, I've got this corner. Should I move to another one? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it all depends. It depends what, if it's Formula One or motorbikes. Like, MotoGP is really short. Yeah. It only goes for 40, 40 minutes, I think it is, the race. Right. So you're sort of working in one area, trying to cover two or three corners maybe at, at, at the most. So there's a little um, arc where you're going from one corner to another, which is yeah. not too far to move. And then would the, the company have uh, other photographers stationed in different areas? Yeah, we normally have two. So uh, two photographers, myself and another guy, would be stationed um, at two different spots of the track. Right. And then, and then you've then you got to get back once they've crossed the line, try and get back for the celebrations and the podium and things as well, right. um, which is which is a sprint because there's no way to get back otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so um, just some tips for uh, people who are starting out and uh, wanting to get some great sporting shots. If you're um, a newbie and what what kind of uh, gear do you recommend and what kind of settings do you recommend for capturing the action and lenses? Um, I think you you want to try and buy the best you can afford, uh, like secondhand, for example. Yeah, I agree. So, but, um, there's always plenty of cameras for sale on eBay and yep. um, things like that where you'll find probably good bargains. People might have an old 1DX, you know, one of the first original ones. It's still good. I mean, the file size is not massive yep. compared to now, but you still get you still get a decent image and you'll and learn from it. Why is it the 1DX? What is What does that have? What? Why would it be a uh, pro camera like that? What is it that uh, that has that, say, an, a new entry-level camera might not have? Um, I mean, in terms of, it's more that it's solid. Yes, because uh, our, our cameras take a take a beating. Um, I've dropped mine a couple of times and it just keeps working. Right. I don't mean like I don't mean like a big drop of it. Yeah. Knocked them around or yeah, thing like that. But uh, that and they sort of be stronger and um, I mean I know, I know a, lot of, a lot of the newer cameras now have built-in Wi-Fi and things like that. Our cam- pro cameras don't. Yes. Um, you always got to put an adapter on it. It's um, yeah, I mean it's it's they're faster. They're usually better focusing. So you want be, the fast focus, being looked after. Yeah, yeah definitely you, fast focusing. And what, what um, like, I think the the one DX has a one eight thousandth of the shutter. The, the is the highest shutter speed. Is that what you're looking yeah. for? No, no, I, I very rarely shoot at that. You normally shoot around sixteen hundred or twelve fifty, a thousand. Just depends on the on the light. Right. So, um, and try and shoot it as wide open as possible. So whatever lens we're using. So you want to maybe an X Pro body used if you can. Yeah, and what sort Nick of lenses? Nick and all Canon is, will both be good, so yep. um, doesn't matter which one. Yeah, but um, lenses you might be lucky and find. I mean, a lot of pros now selling their old one series lenses that you can get quite cheap now. I had a friend sell his old two to four Nikon for like only a couple of thousand dollars a couple of years ago. So that's two hundred to four hundred Nikon. Yeah, which was and when it was new, it was like fifteen thousand. Wow. He sold it. He sold it. He sold it a few years ago. A and years and ago what for, are they buying 2, instead? Um, he just moved on to smaller lenses. He's, he's not doing sport anymore, so right. he's getting rid of his stuff. But right. um, yeah, you could probably get even 100 to 400 lenses from you know second uh, from um, like Tamron's and those guys. Yep, they have some decent lenses, I, I believe. 
So yeah, you can start off with those. I mean, I start off with you know, not prime lenses. Yes. It's just more to, so the way you learn that way, and then get a feel for those lenses, the big lenses, and and know you know if and then if you go if you think you're going to make money from it, then you obviously go ahead and buy the big the big stuff. Would you recommend zoom over prime for sport? Um, well, if I'm shooting footy and cricket and motorbikes, I like a six hundred. Yep. But if I'm shooting soccer, golf, and those sort of things now, I like, I like the two to hundred to four hundred. Why? Because it's more versatile. I don't have to bring three bodies with me. Right. On the golf on the golf course, for example, I can just bring a wide angle and two to four. Right. And it's, it saves a lot of weight carrying it on your back and shoulders and things. So if it's something static like, I mean, cricket, where they're just kind of you might be capturing the bowler running in or the batter, then you're just yeah. sort of training on one area. Is that right? You're not moving yeah, you- around as much. No, oh, we're going to move around the field a bit. If you want to, you know, again, with cricket, we'll work with the light um, and all the backgrounds. If they're not very good, we'll try and get clean backgrounds. So we'll move around with that. Yep. Um, but like um, soccer, usually you're stuck in one spot and um, basketball, things like that, you're sort of in one spot. But, um, yeah, if you, if you get the sports where you're moving around, like the 600 is really handy for cricket for that thing because you're moving around a lot. Um, you can go up in the grandstands. Sort of a bit more freedom here, right? For that, and so you're shooting longer lens. You want a shallow depth of field. Is it important to always isolate your um, athlete from the background? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it yep. makes it cleaner. Yep. So with cricket, I'm always shooting f4. Yes. I'm shooting down the pitch and side on and things like that, just to clean the background up. Because most most grounds have so much advertising, you want to try and blur it out. Yes. Um, yes. You're obviously trying to avoid what's really loud and messy where you can. So, so that sort of stuff, um, F4 at uh, 1,000 or 1,250 of a second. Yeah. And yeah. what sort of ISO are you working at? Uh, again, depends if it's, a, if it's a daytime game, mm-hmm. you might have 100 to 200 ISO. Yep. If it's backlit, you go up a little bit more. Uh, right. If it's nighttime, if it's nighttime, depending on the venue, it's like it could be 3,200 or 4,000 ISO even right. um, at the MCG, for example. And so what's the thought? You'd rather have uh, a bit of noise in the image than a soft image, right? Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's not really – the new cameras these days aren't very noisy, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to worry about that too much. And and what's your um what's your thought process on positioning? Like are you – Getting under the action? Are you shooting up and into the action? How do you how do you work out where you are and how to how to create that great shot? Or is it sport to sport? Well, yeah, and it depends on what where you are in the world, what venue. I mean, our guys in the UK, for example, they shoot Premier League. A lot of their venues have got pits for the photographers, so they're shooting down really low. Oh right. Which which would be great to have here if we could, but yeah, um, there's no venue. There's no venue here that has that. Right. Um, so you, see, sometimes, sometimes when you look at the Premier League shots, you just look and they're like really low to the ground and great angles that yeah you know, be, be awesome to get here. Yeah. But we just don't have that here. Usually here we sit on a stool yeah. or on your bum. Um, about as low as you're going to get here, you sit on your bum. Yeah. Um, in our venues. So you're you're uh, sitting like cross-legged on the ground. Yeah, I try not to because I, I I I can't sit cross-legged for too long. Right. <laughs> but uh, I normally I normally have like a really small stool. I sit on that. Yeah, had the laptop beside me and yeah, shoot, shoot, shoot in that position. Most sports. You're um, not tethered, basketball. are you? You're shooting to card. We're shooting to card. Um, yeah. If we do the World Cup or Olympics, we're tethered. Yeah, really. So everything we shoot will go to an editor. Right. 
Um, we tag what we want as we shoot and like we don't even take the card out till half time or the game's over. Right. Because uh, everything just goes straight to the editor and, it, we, and that means we just continue shooting and have to worry about um, taking cards out, downloading stuff and um, it makes our life easier. And how much post-processing are you doing on your images? Obviously, that's going somewhere else, but it, like are you shooting to get it right in camera entirely or is there Oh, definitely, editing? yeah. Well, it, editorial, there's all these it has ethics that we've got to abide by. So for us, other than the basic level and sharpen, that's it. We can't we can't start doing HDR and things. I mean, if I do a portrait shoot, we can do HDR, but we have to put a disclaimer. Yep. Uh, or, if I, or if I use a filter, but or even if I change an image to black and white, it has to be, have, a, have a disclaimer. Right. And uh, we usually have to also upload the color image to go with that, which is part of like the ethical thing of uh, media. Yes. So for us, yeah, it's very basic um, levels and sharpen. That's it, and that's it, and just send it. And when you're shooting sport, what focus mode are you using on the camera? Uh, top of my head, I couldn't tell you. It's, it's definitely on like a fast mode. And is it um, continuous yeah. or single yeah. shot? Oh, yeah, it's, con- yeah, it's continuous. And then yep. we go into the menu Then we go into the menu and adjust our preference. I mean, everyone's different, so people will have different focus points and different um, uh, shutter points and things where – yeah, you want it to fire before it's focused or after it's focused. So everyone, everyone's different. I, I like to I, I like to have mine to shoot regardless if it's in focus. Oh, right. So, so you override because, that? Yeah, because yeah, I'd, I'd rather start shooting something out of focus and then hope that it comes into focus rather than right. rather than waiting for the camera to think that the focus is just right. Yeah. Because I've tried that I've tried that mode before and the uh, camera will think, oh, it's not quite right. I'm not going to let you shoot just yet. And you think, no, no, no. I need yeah. to keep, and, then and then you think, no, I've got to override that and. So I've got to say it shoots regardless and you hope that if it is out, you know, if it comes out of focus, that it comes back in. Right. Rather, rather than think about it and miss it altogether. Yeah. You'd rather have something slightly soft than have nothing at all. And are you using like a single point focus or are you expanding that or does that depend again on the, on the game that you're photographing? Uh, I've got mine set on like a cross in the middle. Right. So and, the- that seems to, and that seems to work for me. Um, yeah, I've had I've no real drama with that. So it's like how many focus points are there? Uh, five, I think it is. Five. Yeah. And so it'll the, you'll you'll move and and you're not you're not focusing and recomposing, <coughs> are you? You're moving your focus points to follow yep. the action. Uh, no, it's in the middle, but I can move it manually with a little toggle switch on the yeah, back. Yeah. So are you toggling yeah. as you're going? Occasionally, not not, not always, but or, if the action's on a certain part of the field. Are you, you trying to get across? Are you trying to keep the action in the center of the frame, or are you trying to? Yeah, where possible. Yeah. Yeah, oh right, definitely. so so yeah. and so if you can avoid having to toggle your focus points because it's so fast the action. Yeah, is... exactly. Yeah, and right. also with um with my camera, um and the, even the model before well, I've got I've got the Canon One DX uh, Mark Two and the yep. Mark One. Yep. Um, they have a feature on there where you can set two two sh- two like shooting modes. Right. So I usually have like a standard shooting mode to shoot the action. Yep. And then I have an, an, the second button is for either panning images. Right. Um, so if I'm shooting football, I can shoot a guy running with a ball panning. Yeah. But then, but then, then some guy might come in and tackle him, and then I just, I just let go of that button and press the other one again, and I'll freeze the action without missing anything. Wow, with the same camera. The same camera, or you can um, set it. Say if I'm shooting football, say at the MCG, and it's shady on one side and sun, full sun on the other. Yep. I do my settings that way, so I've got one setting for the sun and one setting for the shade. Right, and again, and again, you don't miss anything because 
get, you've set the camera up that way. Whereas in the old days, it would like quickly change the shutter speed and the aperture and then go back again and you, you, you muck around and you miss stuff. Whereas yeah. now with a setting, um, the recall, it's called, it's, called, it's called the recall button. Right. So, or, 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 we, or, we, or we also call it the emergency button. Yeah. So if something happens, you can you quickly go back to your, your, your normal <laughs> setting and capture whatever's happening. Right, and just so, so for for listeners that um, are not sure, what to, just explain what panning is and how that makes the shot look. So panning is just slowing down your shutter speed and giving the subject the sense of movement. Yes, um, I, I use it a lot in motorsport, especially. Yep. You see it a lot. I, it's very yeah. groovy in, in 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 motorsport. So basically, oh, yeah, yeah. the the if you're doing a, a car coming around the corner, the car's yep. in focus. But because you're moving your camera with, with the car, yeah, the background is um, all like blurred and, and the wheels are spinning. You can see yeah. the wheels spinning, yeah. So yeah. you'll do that. But I, I pretty much pan everything now: pan soccer, cricket, every sport I shoot, I do some panning. And what were your first pans like compared to your pans today? Because oh, I had probably... a go last year and I was <laughs> useless at it. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes time, I and mean, they're, they're probably horrendous back then. Yeah, uh, my early days, but now like I've. I've got my um, my technique, and uh, it works. It's like a so, dance, isn't it? Because you've got to yeah, yeah. you've got to be in sync with what whatever the subject is that you're shooting. How slow a shutter speed are you panning at? It all depends how I feel on the day. Like if it's really? nighttime, yeah. If it's nighttime, you might go say get a bowler with the cricket running in, and I'll go down to maybe half a second. Wow! And uh, you get a nice and sharp. But it's, yeah, again, it? It, it takes yeah yeah like it um, takes practice like. Might not work in the first over, but then you'll get it. Because um, it's also you got to remember that when the bowler's running in, a lot of them move their head. Yeah. Uh, so you got to watch them and sort of try and nail it at a certain point that their head's like still enough that you'll you get the head sharp. Because it's always if, you, if you're panning a person, you got to make sure that the head's sharp. Right. Um, there's no point having a pan and nothing sharp at all. And how did um, you learn to pan? Did you learn at a sporting event, or did you go out and photograph cyclists or cars going past on a road just to get the hang of it? Uh, no, look, I, back again, going back to leader again, I'd shoot sometimes. I'd go to Sandown and shoot the V8s. Yep. Um, and so I'd stay out there all day, even though, even though I only had to shoot the V8s. I'd stay out, out there and shoot every category. Yeah. And just, and just practice panning. Yep. Until I thought I was getting somewhere. Right. Back then it was film, so you, you couldn't see until you got back to the office. Right. Um, but, uh, but also like with pan, when you pan cars, even for example, you have to watch the spot you pan that because if the car's bouncing around even just slightly, you'll never get it sharp. No matter right. how, no matter how good you are at panning, so there's times when you have to actually watch the car a little bit through the lens and say, okay, it's bouncing up and down because the track's not, you know, might not be flat in that spot. And you might have to move on somewhere else right. to find where the, the spot is a little bit flatter. Right. So just um, with the different sporting events, wh- where would you position yourself? So if you were shooting, say car racing, um, you're not going to be in the straight as they're whipping past because you're never going to get the shot sharp. Is that right? No, no, you'll get it. Um, again, it, you know, it takes practice and technique. Yep. That's uh, panning, but if you're yeah. just shooting, trying to shoot the car race, can you get a car to be sharp when it's... Yeah, yeah, of course. But um, just, just a steady car on it... the track, which which we call in the industry a park car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only time you want to park car really is when they're crashing. So, um, right, so you want to yeah. freeze the action when they're airborne. Yeah. yeah. But and you, you do yeah. want to have some movement for like when it's racing. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, if you do a start of the race 
we usually freeze the action because that's normally when something's going to happen if yep. it happens. Yep. So you want to so you want to get you know freeze that action. And then once they've gone past, then it's time you just you know, like I said, I've got the two settings, so I'll have a pan setting and the freeze setting ready to go. So if, uh, hopefully I don't miss anything. So it sounds like to get good coverage of a sporting event, you've really got to mix it up. You don't want to just be on a long lens and shooting close and freezing the action. You want to get a, a variety of uh, movement and um, yeah, exactly. atmosphere yeah. as well. You want, always want to get yeah. some crowd stuff. So wide, long, yeah. really cover the event. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So like example, like, you know, every year I go to Bathurst, every year I try and find a different shot. Um, they make it harder for us with safety. Every year something changes. Yeah. But... Um, there's a couple of spots I like to go back to every year, and then I always try and find something different. Where this means hiking it up into the bush a bit and try to shoot through the trees and yep. find, try and see the car going past or going to a different spot you never tried before, or those sort of things. I mean, I've done I think 16 or 17 Bathurst, and you know you have to mix it up a bit. Yeah. Otherwise, it all looks the same. Right. So, um, all right. So for uh, newbies starting out, what what would you recommend is a good way to learn the craft? Just go to your local sporting events and shoot? oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I always see people say, "Oh, I want to start shooting the Olympics," and you know, and then and then and they've only just started. It's like, well, you know, if you shoot local sports, sometimes you, you get some crackers. Yes, you know, whether the backgrounds could be good or just someone playing a sport, and you know, mark of the year could happen in in local footy. Yeah. Uh, or kids playing cricket, anything. It's just a matter of getting out there and just not wanting to be at the Olympics straight away. Yeah. So uh, build many, up, build too, up too many, those yeah, skills. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Build skills, build, you know, your relationship with people. Um, be humble. Like I always say to people, don't go out there and um, bag other people because it could be your boss one day. Yeah, that's true. Especially that's in true. our industry, it's so small that yeah. anyone could be your boss the next day. So yeah. it's just um, um, it's a matter of, yeah, just get out there and just, Keep shooting, improving your skills, getting in touch. I mean, I always get people on Instagram send me questions and asking about techniques and things. And I'm always happy to answer them. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just work hard and and be happy about it and don't whinge. Because <laughs> for, for us, it's working in all, all types of weather. You can't say, oh, I'm not going to shoot the footy because it's raining today. Right, because like, you're well, often out luck. there in the pouring rain, aren't you? Oh, pouring rain, hail. Yeah, snow. You know, it's winter Olympics, thing like that. So it's, yeah, yeah. And that's when you just, probably just get some do really it. interesting shots too. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, when it rains really heavily, um, you can get some great shots. Yeah. You know, because normally like those grounds don't get wet like that, like they used to, and you get one downpour and they might get flooded or yeah, it's just yeah, players falling over in the mud, things like that. And all the especially water in lake, especially in local footy. Yeah. Yeah, and water droplets you know, make it hard to focus, but if, when it works, it's, it can be a great picture. Yeah. All right, so it's long lens, uh, long fast lens, um, and and you want to shoot high ISO, uh, and your shutter speed is about around a thousand twelve fifty. Yeah, on a sunny day, yeah, you want to yeah. try and yeah, shoot, I always try and shoot lowest ISO I can and wide open on a sunny day. And continuous focus, and then just yeah. get out there and and practice, practice, practice. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Uh, all right, that's amazing. Where can people see your work, Robert? Um, I've just done a, just uh, done my own website after all these years. Yeah. Um, RobertChamflaney.com. Um, Instagram, RobC71. Yep. Uh, I have a Twitter account, SportsSnapper71. Yep. Which I only use occasionally. Yep. Um, and then just on Facebook, Robert Rob Chamflaney. 
Fantastic. And you've also got some uh, amazing portraits on there as well. So like on yeah. the uh, down days, you're doing um, set-up portraits of the athletes. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, if we're on tour with a team, like the Socceroos, the World Cup last year, we had two days where we could do portraits. Yep. So before I even left Australia, it was in your mind like, okay, I've done them before. I've got to do something different. Yep. Um, so you're always thinking, trying to do something different. Uh, and then I did always, always like to do the Aussie portrait with the Aussie flag. Yeah. Uh, sort of one of my signature pictures when I do that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then um, trying to try and do something different in the dressing rooms. And then we did the second session we had with them. I actually did light painting. Which, oh wow. Um, was uh, the players were blown away by because they, they thought I looked a bit stupid walking around with like a light wand yeah. in the dark room. And telling them to stay, stay still. Stay still, yes. <laughs> so don't move, mate. you got five seconds to stay still. Yeah. And, th- and then you show them, they go, wow, that's amazing. Can we try another one? And then so it's actually really good. So, so quite a few of the players really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and actually asking to keep going with it, which was, you know, it's really rare for a sports person to say, oh, can we try something else? Can yeah, you? yeah. Yeah, so it's really good. What's your kit for portraits on the run, run and gun? Uh, well, it all depends. Again, like um, I like to use uh, pro photos. Yep. Uh, the B1 Airs, yep. uh, but also also I like to work a lot with speed lights. Yes, uh, which are really handy if you're just travelling and you haven't got much space to bring gear. Yeah, um, the speed lights are really handy. You can do lots with it. What's your favourite modifier? With it. Uh, on my pro photo, I like my uh, uh, big softbox with a grid. Yep. Um, and I've now got a modifier for this a small softbox. That I purchased last year for the speed lights as well. Yeah, uh, which is really handy. Yeah, when you have when you have time to set it up. So, uh, yeah. And you're getting like, much keep, time keep to do personal work. Oh, I don't do any personal work at all anymore. Right. <laughs> I just I do my I do I enjoy I enjoy doing my job and then yeah you know, my days off I just have my days off now and relax and ride my bike. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, that's amazing. It's been amazing chatting to you, Robert. I wish you continued success. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. All right. So there's Robert Gianflone. I don't know. I'm probably not getting it right, but now I can't say it any other way. You're loving it. (laughs) (laughs) So what sport do you follow, Gina? What sport do I follow? Uh, As in, do I like to watch? Yeah. What else would I mean? Eh. <laughs> I'm not I'm not obsessed with any sport in particular, really. I have to be honest. Okay. You? Yes. Um I'm probably the same, but this is a very sport-filled household. Yeah. And uh there is often sport on every level of this house, even if no human being is on that level. Yeah. Which is slightly frustrating. Yeah. Because then you've got race calling on one level, you've got football going on another level, you've got some uh, motor racing on another level. It's it can be noisy. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I do admire uh, people who can capture that unique moment in sports photography because they are so fleeting. It's, it's so such fleeting. a skill, and you know, like Robert was saying, he really is um, going on his reflexes. It's like you know when you've got cars just whizzing past, and then knowing what, to decide whether, like, is he going to pan? Is it going to be an accident in this corner? What corner do they stand on? And even like 
following the tennis or, you know, following uh, soccer players or, or any game like that where you're following a ball around and shooting that with a very long lens. You've got such a narrow, narrow field of view. So, so yeah. And the pressure um, and, they've, and they're the like pressure. downloading their files as they go. They're shooting tethered because it's like, you know, the world media are picking up those shots as they go. It's just as mm. much pressure on those photographers as probably not as much as the athletes in the middle, but it's still a very, very difficult job. And after we finished uh, the interview, Robert and I were just uh, having a, a quick chat to wrap up, and he was telling me about, like, back in the film days, when he mm. used to travel, he had, like, a uh, special suitcase. I doubt that any airline would let you get away with it now, but, like, mm. they would travel with all their chemicals and, oh like, a God. change bag, and he would, like... Uh, Dark room in the hotel. In in the hotel or in a cupboard oh or where – because it's like you've got the a, the change bag where you load the film into yes, the canister. Yes. Uh, so that can be just like a small little bag. You can do that anywhere. And then you just need like running water uh, once the, or like the, uh, the film's in the canisters and he would process his film on the road. Imagine that. Can you imagine now because like the younger people who have no concept of a dark room – you know, they could end up thinking the change bag is like a balaclava and the, the film canisters are like ammo for shotguns and the chemicals are goodness knows what serial killers can use. Well, I can remember even just... my, when we were travelling, Val, we'd be going across Australia or even overseas yes. and I'd have my films and we'd be going through X-ray and I'd be going, nah, hand check, please. Mm-hmm. And I'd mm-hmm. hand over 50 rolls and the security yes. would hand check them. They'd look, they go, what's this here then? I'm like, it's film. Yes. And they go, we'll put it through the x-ray. And I'm like, please don't. And they're going, Mm. okay, we won't, as as if they'd let you get away with that today. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So fantastic. Anyway, I hope listeners have have learnt a lot from your chat with Robert. So what are you doing in the coming week until we chat again? I'm off to India, Valerie. So I'll be off and shooting and busy. What about you? What are you doing? Oh, my goodness. I've got a bit of catching up to do. I say that all the time. I feel like my life is one constant catch-up. Yeah. Will you ever catch up? I hope so. I really hope so. Ask me in a month. All right. Anyway, um, where do we find you online, Gina? Find me at ginamilitia.com. So that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. You'll find me in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community Facebook group. Lots of amazing stuff going on there. If you guys have got uh, sport images to share, load Mm. them up there so that we can all have a look. And also if you have questions for the podcast, please ask them in the Facebook group. Uh, I'll put a link in the the show notes for everyone. And that's the listener community, which is free to join. So just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Yeah. And if you want to take your photography to the next level, then check out the Gold community. And uh, I'm there mentoring you, helping you decide what lighting to do, how to set up your home studio, how to take your photography to the next level, how to use lighting, how to pose and direct, everything you need is in there in the Gold community. So you just go to my website, ginamilitia.com, and click on Join the Community. What about you, Val? And she is the world's best mentor, I would just like to add. Okay, you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. 
Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.